You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's take our Bibles and uh, turn to Exodus 20 today. Exodus chapter 20. The uh, text for the message today is you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. The title for the message is what is yours is not mine. What is yours is not mine. Uh, This text is kind of like last week's text. It was, uh, you shall not commit murder. And some people came to church thinking, well, this is going to be an easy one because I'm not planning on killing anybody. And uh, therefore, and then Jesus in Matthew takes the bar and he raises it right up. And uh, then that's where the challenge was. And uh, this week, it's kind of the same. As a matter of fact, the outline is the same, except the word uh, murder and adultery in the title. That stuff's been changed because it's the same principle here. We're going to learn the principle. And then what did Jesus say? Um, But I say to you, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, and then Jesus is going to take the bar and he's going to raise it right into your life today. And uh, so I trust you're ready to be challenged from God's word because I believe there's not a single person in the room that doesn't need to hear something out of this message today. We're all impacted by it in some way. And if you're not impacted by it some way, then somehow you're in heaven because we're all struggling with the things we're talking about uh, as we consider God's word today. So you got your Bibles open now. Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read the text. And uh, as we've been doing, I'm going to read right through the whole thing so that we don't ever lose sets of the context and what this is really all about in uh, Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But I show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. 
Our Father and our God, again, we thank you for the amazing privilege it is to hold your very word in our hands, the things that you wanted to say to us. And Lord, as we look at these verses today and look at this text, thou shalt not, you shall not commit adultery. Lord, what do you have to say to us today? What do we need to, to hear? Father, what's the thing in our heart? What's the thing in our lives? What is the thing that is destroying our walk with you? Father, would you give us ears to hear your word and minds that we might understand, but then, Lord, passionate hearts to turn and live out for your glory. Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So we come into this text with wonder, but we come in with great hope because you're a loving God who cares for his children. So guide us in your word, strengthen us as we hear it, and use it, God, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. You shall not commit adultery. I, we probably can all agree that this is a serious text. Um, but there's a couple of the verses I'll just throw in to kind of help us to make sure we don't lose sight of how important it is. In Proverbs 2, 16 to 19, it says, So you will, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsake the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None of who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Proverbs 23, 27. For a, a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. Those verses are all saying we get in over our heads. We get into a deep place. We get into a hard place and, and we can't get out. See, the words you shall not commit adultery are serious words, and it's a serious topic uh, for us to consider today. So let's uh, dive right into the outline if you're taking notes. Adultery defined and understood. Now, this is the seventh uh, command, and uh, this is a command about purity in relationship. At least on the surface, it's about purity in relationship. It's a command that demonstrates our love for uh, the one that we are married to. It's to our spouse. He says, do not commit adultery. Why? Well, you made a covenant. You made a promise. You made commitments to each other. And we're uh, going to come back to that in uh, just a second. But, you know, you could be sitting here, well, I'm not married. I'm not married. So obviously he's not talking to me today. Well, let me kind of give you a couple principles from God's word. And I read this this week. I think it sums it up. Since God's law sanctions sexual relationships only within a legitimate marriage, the command not to commit adultery covers in principle all varieties of sexual immorality. No sexual relationship of any sort outside of marriage. You shall not commit adultery is a challenge for us to treat the one that God has given, the one that we have made our commitments to, um, as God intended. Not making up excuses, no justification. Uh, things can be hard. You're going through some deep waters and, and you're not sure. And all of a sudden, a coworker, you know, they start to listen and they start to make sense. And, and you find yourself saying things like, well, my partner doesn't understand me, but this person does. And then you get to a place you might say, but I don't love her or I don't love him anymore. Or to the person who you find yourself attracted to, well, we're falling in love. Or even coming to the place, and I've heard it said, God led us to be with each other. 
No, he didn't. And it's not love, it's lust. It's not God's plan. It's not his desire. The one who God gave you, the one you made your commitments to, that is the one you are to be with. You say, well, okay, so that's the Old Testament. Uh, Don't commit adultery. Do you have anything in the New Testament that kind of says the same thing? You know, I'm not going to set myself up for that without an answer. Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Galatians 5, 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Adultery destroys marriage. Adultery destroys homes. Adultery destroys communities. Adultery destroys nations. The the ramifications that come out of this are serious and are significant. So why is adultery so bad? Why does this one kind of get its own commandment? I would suggest to you it's because adultery is about the breaking of a covenant. It's about the breaking of of a covenant. You make your vows when you get married. Sue and I stood on uh, May the 26th, 1979, and we made our vows before God to each other. Uh, Sue and I, or I stood, uh, Sue was there at a wedding we did on Friday. Uh, Melissa and Vincent from our church got married, and part of the wedding, they made their vows. I, Vincent, take you, Melissa, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, and for richer, for poorer, for blah, 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 in sickness and in health, uh, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. That was their vows. And basically everybody in the room who got married in a church made some vows that go like that. And we made our promises and we made our commitments and we made our covenant to each other. And committing adultery is the breaking of that covenant. But there's another kind of adultery. It's spiritual adultery. It's found all over the Old Testament. Isaiah talks about it. Jeremiah talks about it. I'm going to read uh, two verses from the book of Judges where it's talked about. Judges 2, 16 and 17 says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the land of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. And so there's this physical adultery, the destruction in a marriage. But there's also spiritual adultery that happens. And it's based on the covenant that was made between God and his people. A covenant that it's not ours to break. It's a commitment. It's a a promise that is made. Most of the people in this room, at some point you came to the place of understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins. He paid the price. He gave the ultimate gift of eternal life. He filled the gap you couldn't fill because God's standard was no sin and the best you could do was some level of goodness, but you could never get to sinlessness. And Christ became the right and the righteous and the only payment for your sin. 
and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And you came to that point where you realized God is so over there and I so can't get there on my own and it's only possible through Jesus Christ. You put your faith in Christ. The only way anyone ever gets to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by or through me. And and Jesus Christ died so you could have eternal life and you put your faith and trust in him as your savior. Well, he was also at that very moment, he became your Lord. He's not only your savior, he's the Lord, he's the king, he's the ruler. And we grow in that and we understand it more, but uh, there was a covenant that was made. There was a relationship that was made. You became his child. And it's not ours to commit spiritual adultery, to go after other things that don't honor him, to other things that aren't the right priority. And so when Exodus 20 says, you shall not commit adultery, there's the obvious and the level that's talking about sex with someone who is not your spouse. Don't. Stop it. It's not an option for us. But then there's also this other adultery that the Bible talks about. And it's spiritual adultery. And maybe you find yourself wandering there sometimes. And you would never think about committing adultery with your spouse or against your spouse. But you do it against your God on a regular basis. You shall not. Proverbs 6.32 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Defined and understood. It's pretty clear cut. Really not a lot of debate. It's what God's word says. So now let's go over to Matthew chapter five. We're not going back to Exodus for the rest of today, so you don't need to keep your finger in there. But over in Matthew five, like we did last week, we see what Jesus now says about this. And uh, last week he said, you've heard, heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder. And then he raised the bar. Well, now we come down to verse 27. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus now takes us to the heart of the commandment. You have heard it said, it says. That's what they were taught. And they were all taught about the external. And as long as you didn't actually commit the act of adultery, you were okay. And Jesus says, there's more to it than that. The bar gets raised. You have heard it said, but I say to you, but I say 
to you. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go into today. Who is this person who's saying it? It's Jesus Christ. It's God. We went through a whole list of things that uh, gave him the qualifications. This just isn't somebody's editorial comment on the side. This is God himself. Um, they understood the law to be this. They were all about the externals. I'm going to tell you something else. There's more to it. We're going to come back to that in just a second, but I wanted to take a moment and just talk about verses 31 to 32. Uh, we're going to do a series on, on this whole text and uh, probably next year and we'll get into the topic of divorce and what it means and all the rest of it. But uh, there's some things I think that are important for us to understand. Uh, the Lord put it right here, right in this text and uh, some things we want to make sure that we understand. First of all, God hates divorce. He hates it. The D word is a word you should never use in your marriage. It doesn't matter how mad you get, how angry you get, how frustrated you get, how ticked off you are, how stupid he was. The D word should never be used. It's never God's design. It's never his plan. It's never what he wants for us. Uh, take the application of the adultery part and, and take it into our spiritual adultery. And if anybody ever had grounds to divorce us, it's God. And he doesn't. And he loves on us and he cares for us. Now let me just say real quick, I don't understand all of your circumstances. And I don't know all of the things you have been through. And I'm sure there's some of you just hearing me say those words. They are painful words to hear because maybe you are the one who, who committed the adultery or the fail and it happened and your marriage is over and it's gone. There's hope for you. We're going to come to that before the message is over. It's not a hopeless message. It's a message that's filled with hope. But God hates divorce. It's never his intention uh, for his children. Divorce is always sinful. It's either sinful in its origin or it's sinful in his action. It doesn't mean that everybody who's involved in a divorce has necessarily sinned that's causing the divorce, but sin is always, always, always connected to divorce. It's always a root cause. It's not what God wants. And just like God redeemed you in the worst situation possible, God can redeem your situation as well. But I know those aren't easy words to hear if you're hurt and filled with pain and, and we wanna love you and care for you and come alongside and support you with God's word as you wrestle with these things but this isn't what God wanted. And when you said your vows, it's not what you wanted. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you find you're thinking about ways out of your marriage, you're not thinking the way God thinks. All right, back into the text. Verse 28. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And he says, but I say to you, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman. Whoever looks at a woman, Jesus locates the origin of lust and desire in our eyes, the things that we see. He says, whoever looks at a woman, 
He goes on, he says, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent, with a wrong motive, with a wrong passion, with a wrong heart, is already guilty of adultery. Okay, so let me just say, ladies, you're not off the hook on this. This slices both ways. This goes both ways. You find yourself looking at a man. You find yourself thinking about a man. You find yourself thinking about wanting a man who's not yours. This goes to you as well. You may not ever go and do the thing that Jesus says, if you even think about those things, you've committed this sin in your heart already. The bar is raising, raising, raising. It's now in my head. It's now in my living room. It's now in my life. Because if we're honest with ourselves, who of us isn't already guilty of that in some way in our lives? See, Jesus takes it from the easy, don't, don't, don't go and do the act, to the action and the thoughts of our hearts. Now think about the world that we live in. You can't walk through the mall this afternoon without seeing things you ought not see. You can't drive up Macowan this afternoon without seeing things probably you should not, don't need to see. Uh, you'll get home and you're only two or three clicks away on your iPad from things that you need not see and should not see and are evil to see. It's same thing on your computer, it's just on a bigger screen. And this isn't a man problem. We used to be famous about saying that, that pornography and all these things, it was a man thing. It's a sin thing. It's an everybody thing. Whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus explains that it's possible to commit adultery or murder in your heart or in your mind. And it's also sin that's prohibited. Well, are the same thing? Are they the same thing? The act of adultery, is it the same thing as thinking things? I love this quote. The act of adultery is far worse than adultery in the heart. Jesus' point is not to say they're the same thing, but to say they're both sin and both prohibited by the command against adultery. You shall not do these things. They don't honor the Lord. They don't bring him glory. They don't lift up his fame. He goes on and he says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And he gives an illustration that is not, it's not a literal thing for us to do. He's picturing how serious and how important this is that we take hold of this and we stop playing around with it. If it was literal, we would all be blind, completely blind. If it was literal, you'd have plucked out one eye a long time ago. And the problem with plucking out one eye is you still have another eye. And it would only be the next day until you're plucking out that eye as well. 
And if you've used your right hand to lead someone astray and you cut it off, it's only another day or so till you use your left hand to do the same. Jesus isn't talking about us all ending up being blind. He's talking about how serious this is and what it does about the covenant relationship we have, first of all, with each other in marriage, but then our relationship with God God has given us imagination, the ability to think things and dream things. And imagination is a God-given gift, but if it's fed dirt by the eye, it will be dirty. If you feed it stuff you shouldn't be feeding it, and whether it's about lust or whether it's about pride or whether it's about stealing or whether it's about covetousness or whatever, whatever you feed into this thing, uh, that's what your imagination starts to live in. And that's part of the struggle for us because the feeding that's going on, the feeding that's going on, it permeates our minds. And how do we get out of that? And we're going to come to that. There's some good news coming. But uh, let me just use this illustration for you. Um, you remember when you were memorizing verses as a kid and you knew those verses and some of them you still know and you still remember and you still review them. But there's probably verses you've forgotten. You've forgotten them because you didn't review them. You've forgotten them because you didn't go over them again and again. But the ones you go over again and again, you know all the time. I, I go through the Romans road to you just about every week and I, I got them, I got them, I know what they are, right? And the John 3, 16s and the Ephesians 2, 8, 9s. We got all those because, because we know those verses, but there's lots of verses that have kind of disappeared out of our minds. We've forgotten them because we don't use them. What we feed is what we remember. And so part of the victory in this is stop feeding. Stop feeding your mind the things that it should not be feasting on. And over time, it starts to get dull. Over time, it starts to go away. But every time you feed it, you just rejuvenate it in your mind, in the imagination. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. We need to stop, stop feeding those things, but rather feed uh, through the word of God. In Philippians uh, 4, 8, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In Hebrews 4.15, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, and yet without sin. He didn't succumb. And we can have victory in this in our lives. We don't have to live defeated in these areas in our walk. Every time you have lustful thoughts for someone, you're thinking about someone's spouse or someone's child or someone's You're thinking about God's creation in ways you should not be thinking. And your mind is being filled and the temptation is growing. And But you just said, I can't go to the mall without seeing something I can't see or I can't drive up McCowan without seeing something that I should not see. And there's a big difference between temptation and sin. You can't control some of the things that happen in your lives in temptation. You can, if you're going off to a place you should not go, you're already in sin before you ever get there. But you're driving up the street or someone walks by or there's nothing you can do about that. It's what you do with it that makes the difference. Temptation is not of itself sinful. 
It becomes sin when we allow the temptation to become actions, even in our minds. Lust, for example, is sin even though it may never be acted upon. Covetousness, pride, greed, envy, they're all sins of the heart. Even though they may not be apparent to anyone else, they're still sin. You shall not commit adultery. Not the physical act. Not the mental, emotional act. Three, three statements that were helpful for me to think about this week. Here's one. When, when we give in to the temptation to entertain such thoughts, they take root in our hearts. When you give in to temptation, it's taking root in your heart. And you're just renewing it. You're just giving it a new life every time. When we yield to temptation... We replace the fruit of the spirit with the fruit of the flesh. We replace what God wants for us with what we want for ourselves. And many times what was first entertained as a thought, it becomes an action. You shall not commit adultery. In Joshua chapter 7, the people go into the land to conquer Jericho. They conquer Jericho and they go in and Achan goes in and he goes into this place and he sees a whole bunch of stuff. And in Joshua chapter 7, you can read it when you get home. It says, uh, he said, I saw, I wanted, I took. That's it in a nutshell. I saw, could he stop that? No, that was out of his control. He walks into a room, boom, there it is. I saw. That wasn't sinful. I wanted. Okay, now we start to go to where we shouldn't be going because they weren't his to have. And I took it. Blatant sin. David, in his sin with Bathsheba, should have been out on the front lines with his men. Uh, but he was at home uh, where he shouldn't have been. He was in the wrong place. He wasn't in the battle. But if you find that text and look it up, it says he saw, he goes out on the roof and there's Bathsheba. We don't know how many days he did that or not. Might have been the first day. I doubt it. But he saw, it says he saw. And then you go into the text, it says, and he inquired, really, she's not yours. What are you inquiring for? He saw, he inquired, and then he invited her over and then he took her. That's sin. And it's what we all wrestle with every day. He saw, you invited in, or you make request, you invite it over, and you take it. James 1.15 says, Then desire, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is what God wants. God wants you to grow up in Christ. I call it stumbling forward. It's progressing forward, progressive sanctification. I know who Jesus is. He saved me. Now I desire to be more and more like him every day. I move forward. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Often when we quote the verse, we stop right there. And it's unfortunate because Paul was all about this thing we're talking about today. The verse says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. 
He was right in the context of what we're talking about today. What does God want for you in your covenant relationship with him? He wants your purity. He wants your care. He wants your loving him first. He wants him on the throne. This is the will of God. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and, and honor. Stop trying to live as close to the line as you can. Yeah, that's what people do all the time. How, how close can I get without falling over the edge? How close can I get without falling over the edge? If you find yourself trying to justify why you're doing something, whether it's in this area of lust or whether it's in an area of pride or covetousness or... Why are you trying to live so close to the edge? Get away from the edge. Step back from that to where God can be working in your life, where you're not going to be tempted, where you're not dabbling around in things. The implications I saw, I wanted, I took. But let's look at the application because there's great hope for us. If, if all we end up with at the end of this message is we're all losers and there's no hope, then shame on me for ever preaching the message. Because God has some things for us that he desires for us. He doesn't desire that we live in defeat. He desires that we live in victory. He doesn't desire that we live in pathetic hopelessness. He wants to give us hope. There's, there's hope for us. But we're all tempted. We're all tempted. Jesus was tempted. So if you don't think you're tempted, then you think you're better than he was. He was tempted in every way just like you are. Yet he didn't sin. So pastor, help me. Help me. I get it. I know the area in my life. I get it. Let me give you a bunch of things. I looked up on temptation. How do we handle temptation? And you read this thing. It's like four things of this and five things of this and six things of this. And put them all together. It's like 50 things. Um, not interested in giving you that kind of a list. I'm interested in giving you some things though for you to think about. And I'm here to tell you, if you get the first one wrong, you will never, you will never have victory in this area. This one trumps all of the rest of them. If you get it wrong, you're never going to have victory over sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Because you'll always fall back at some point to, it's okay for me. I'm all right. So here it is. You want to defeat temptation? It starts with the right view of God. It starts with the right view of God. See, we usually try and deal with temptation by dealing with our stuff and putting our little things in place. And we don't start in the right place. I, I love uh, Proverbs 1, 7. It says, the fear of God is the beginning. The fear of God is the beginning. It's the beginning of a lot of things. In, in Proverbs 1, 7, it's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of knowing. If you don't have your understanding about who God is right, you're never going to have victory over the rest of these areas in our lives. Uh, whether it's honoring your parents or whether it's about murder or whether it's about stealing or whether it's about lust and, or whether it's about covetousness or whether it's about lying. If you don't have a right view of God, you will never have victory in this. God is in heaven. You are on earth. Let your words be few. God is awesome. He is the creator. He is the one who gave you eternal life. Do you ever hear somebody say this? They say, um, if a tree falls in the middle of a forest, does it make a sound? Now, apparently, 
not a scientist, but apparently, unless there's a receiver for the sound, there was no sound, which is ridiculous. The tree falls on them. Of course it makes it sound go thump when it hits the ground. But if nobody's there to hear it, see, that's the way we deal with our sin when we don't have God on the throne. It's like nobody can see. Nobody knows. Nobody hears. This is just me. I'm alone here. No, you're not. The tree makes a sound because God is there and he hears it and he sees it and he understands it. And we think we play around in our sin. I think I play around in my sin and I think nobody else knows. And I fail and you fail because we forget the most important piece is the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning. Uh, the next thing is a hatred towards our sin. When you understand who God is, then you start to learn to hate your sin. I don't want this anymore. I can't hide this anymore. I can hide it from my spouse. I can hide it from my friends. I can hide, I can hide my covetousness. I can hide my greed. I can hide, I, all these things are just in my heart. Nobody knows. They can't see it. They can't. Yes, God does. I have to learn to hate sin like God hates sin. Third thing I wrote down is we need to avoid and we need to flee from things that cause us to fall into sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. We need to avoid, we need to flee. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith and love and peace. And that's a refocusing that goes on. You flee from something and, and you need to replace it with something else. You want victory over sin? You have to resist with the word. You have to resist with the word. Nobody's committing adultery. He's reading his Bible. It's not happening. When the word of God isn't central, when you set it aside, when you don't care about it anymore... We resist with the word. Psalm 119, 105, I've stored up your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Exodus chapter 20, the people and their response are, um, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. We need to be people who are in the book, who are in the word. My grandmother gave me a Bible once, not this one, but in the front she wrote, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And every time you sin, you know that that's true. You've seen it in your own life. We set the Bible aside. It doesn't get the priority it ought to get. And God's very word becomes secondary to us. You want victory? You got to pray. You have to pray. Really? What's prayer going to do? Well, Matthew 26 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When you got God's word open on your lap and you're before him in prayer, you're not going to places you should not go. You're not doing things you should not be doing. You have to have a plan. Fail the plan, plan to fail. I don't know who said it a long time ago. Somebody said it, but you got to have a plan. If, if there's an area in your life you find yourself getting caught into all the time, what's your plan? You don't have a plan. And then you wonder why I go by. Well, that's the same thing every day, same thing every day. Have a plan. Have somebody to be accountable with in your plan. 
Recognize your escape. So if Sue and I over the years have talked to a number of people who have uh, been involved in an adulterous affair. And uh, I remember one person as we were going through and, and I said, didn't you see the off road? Didn't you see the off ramps? Didn't you see, because as they were telling me the story, it's like there was an off-ramp and 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 there was an off-ramp. God always gives the off-ramps. But we've all been guilty of having them and not taking them too. But God gives a way to escape. You have to determine you're going to take the way to escape. Here's a really practical one. Watch out for your idle time. Watch out for the time you have with nothing to do. When you're in the middle of a job, when you're working hard, when you're with your kids, when you're out with your family, when you're out, you're nowhere near as tempted for these kind of things, whatever the sin is, is when you're sitting around and you got nothing to do. Watch out for idleness. Idleness is a playground for Satan in our life. I'm not saying don't take vacation. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a rest. I'm not saying any of them. I'm talking about idleness. When you're sitting around, you've got no plan. You've got, you find yourself in a place and your Bible's not open and you're not reading the word and you just entered Satan's playland. Guard it and be careful. And when you sin, and you will, confess and repent. Confess and repent. How many times? As many times as it takes. One time, two times, a hundred times, a thousand times, doesn't matter. Confess and repent. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. God's never writing us off. He doesn't ever come to. That's it. Too many times. It's over. We're getting a divorce. The D word's not in his vocabulary. He's always ready to restore. He's always ready to bring us back. But we have to confess before him. We have to come to him and be right before him. And repentance is more than just a changing of direction. It's a changing of our mind about these things. I hate my sin because I love my God. And receive the forgiveness. And this is the hope for everyone in the room. Some of you are in the room and you're like, man, you just beat me for the last 40 minutes. Would just stop. I don't think I can handle anymore. Forgiveness. Receive the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. But I divorced somebody and I, it's over. Receive the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. But my mind is a mess. Receive the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. A new start, a new day, a new opportunity. Walk out of here today as best I can. I'll live at peace with whoever I have to learn to live at peace with. There'll be consequences to my sin and it won't be like maybe I wanted it to be. And, but I'm gonna live at peace as best I can. But I'm gonna accept the forgiveness that comes from God. Other people may not forgive you, but God does. And that ultimately is what's important. Receive his forgiveness. There is no one in the room that's beyond the forgiveness of God. Receive it by confessing your sin and repenting. And here's the last one. Live your life remembering the reward. 
You see, we get caught up in this because it's all a today thing. It's all a instant gratification thing. And we forget that God has something far greater for us. Live anticipating the reward. Okay, pastor, so what are the, some of the things that you do um, in our church for all of our staff? Uh, we have um, what we call moral fences. In my Bible, if I gave it to you after the service, you turn to uh, the very first page, that's a whole first page, and right there there's a section called moral fences. There are six of them. Now, they're only as good as the people who apply them. But there are six things that we do here at the church as staff and key leaders that, that we expect um, because they protect us. They're not legalistic, they're not pharisaical, and they won't all work in the business world. Uh, we, obviously, we, we have the advantage of, oh, well, we're using God's word, so it's easy for us. It's not as easy for you. But here's some things that we do. You think about how those could be applicable in your life and with some adjustment to it, what you could do. Um, they're really practical things, but uh, here's the first one. I will not under any circumstances ride alone in a car with a female. I don't do it other than my wife or an immediate family member. Just don't do it. Problem never started in the first ride in the car, but the second ride and the third ride and the fourth ride, or, or it could be I'm never going out with dinner with a woman who's not my wife. We just don't do it. You don't open the door of opportunity. I do not counsel women in a closed room or more than once. Obviously, these things all apply the opposite way for the girls on our staff, but I just don't do it. If, if you wanted to come and talk to me, a lady came up after the service, this uh, last service, and, and uh, telling about her story. And actually, in that context, Sue's going to come with me into that, which I would normally try and do anyways. But if it doesn't work, I'll meet with a woman in my office once, once. And then after that, if there's to be more meetings, somebody else is going to be there with me. It's just protection. It's just be careful. There are windows in all of our office doors. There are no offices that don't have doors. Um, offices don't have doors. There's no offices that don't have windows in the doors. You have to have doors. I've got to have a door in mind to keep me in sometimes. So that's a, they all have windows. So you're not hiding about what's going on. I do not stay alone in a hotel overnight. When we travel, we go away to a conference. We just don't do it. We don't do it. It just takes away the temptation. It gives you the accountability that, so if we're traveling, if Sue's not with me, I'm traveling with somebody else, uh, one of the guys from our church, or I meet somebody, a guy that I'm meeting in, at the conference, and we share a room, and that's what we do. We just protect ourselves in these things. Why? Because it could one night, one night, well, you're only three decisions away from the disaster. So stay away from the disaster completely, and it won't happen. So these are things that we decide to do to be careful to guard our hearts Here's the fourth one. I speak often and publicly of my affection for my wife and when she is present and when she is not. Unless you're deaf or dead, you just about in every service hear me talk about my wife and my love for her, my care for her, and how amazing she is, and I am so thankful to God for her. I need to do that here. And I need to do that in private because she is God's gift to me. The covenant is made between us. And we need to do that in our relationships. 
When somebody comes and starts to flirt with you at work and you start talking about how amazing your wife is. Right. I compliment the character or the conduct and not the looks or the clothing. Talk about people's conduct and talk about their character. I made the mistake in the last service of uh, poking at George and saying, yeah, look at George, like he needs a haircut. He was sitting right there. What I didn't know is Lisa had just given him a haircut yesterday. So... <laughs> My apologies, Lisa. It really wasn't the point, right? Who cares? Let's talk about people's character. Let's talk about their conduct. Let's not open the door to things that don't need to be open to. And here's the last one. No unaccounted time. No unaccounted time. Sue has access to my calendar. She knows where I am. She knows who I'm going out for lunch with. She knows. And if she doesn't know it, the office knows it. It's just... No unaccounted time. I can't go slipping off for two hours somewhere and and Sue doesn't know. I just don't ever do that. If you put those things in place and never, never falter on them, you never get to the bad place. Now, all those things are only as good as the people who apply them and and people have fallen who started with those as well. And I fully understand it. It's just what we do to try and help to protect us in the spiritual warfare we find ourselves in because Satan would love for me to fall with another woman in this church. He would love it. So what are we gonna do to make sure we protect that? What are you gonna do to make sure you protect that in your life? You shall not commit adultery. Not physically. Not emotionally. Not spiritually. So what? Well, the revelation's pretty clear. The revelation's pretty clear. No sex outside of marriage. Don't be adulterous with other things in your life, putting them before God. And guard your heart The confrontation, you're here today. What are you going to do with what you've heard? That's the confrontation. And the instruction is there's always a way to escape. God always, and he's always ready to forgive and he's always ready to restore. If you leave here defeated, it's because you choose to leave here defeated today. Or maybe it's because you just choose to your sin over your God and you commit adultery one more time against him. The transformation is forgiveness and hope and endurance all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord God, it's your word and we thank you for it. We've learned some principles, tried to give some helpful tools and some, Lord, what's the thing that I I need to hear? What's the thing that each one in this room we need to take hold of today? I'm not gonna go home without dealing with that thing in my life. And Lord, I faltered before, but I'm going to start again. I'm not giving up, Lord. You never gave up on me. I'm not giving up on this either. God, do a work in us. Purify your church. Do it for your fame and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.